The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya. Tanagas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. And welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, December 16th. Frank Stample joined, as always, by Scott White. And there may be some confusion. Just why is Frank playing Kokomo on today's podcast? Well, it's Scott's last podcast of the year. He's taking time off for the holidays. So I wanted to go out with a bit of a bang. How's it going, Scotty? I appreciate that, Frank. Yeah, it certainly feels like Friday for me. Yeah, it is Friday for me because I'm taking Friday off. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I like it. Kokomo. Get 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 this get this party started. Yeah, must be nice, Scott. Must be nice. <laughs> uh it, just a heads up. I'm a little bit banged up right now, so if I sound nasally or if I sniffle at all, if I start coughing up a long mid podcast and Scott starts like talking out of nowhere, then you know why. So I just wanted to give everyone uh a heads up. If you play in head to head points leagues, then you've come to the right place. Uh we just did our first head to head points mock of the off season and we're gonna recap all of it hopefully, on today's pod. Uh, Towards the end, we will wrap up. Uh, I should have let you know this beforehand, Scott, but I'm sure you'll be able to figure something out within the next hour or so. We're going to reveal our favorite holiday song and movie, which I believe we did last year. And unless something drastically changed, you're probably going to have the same answer. But let's refresh the people's memories, uh, minds. And then for those watching on YouTube, Scott is going to wrap a present at the end of this video. So we're going to sign off on the podcast side of things. It just wouldn't make for a good audio listening experience of Scott's wrapping a present. So we'll wrap up the podcast towards the end. And then Scott, you will take the reins and you will help us all learn how to wrap a gift. This is a tutorial, by the way, (laughs) a a gift wrapping tutorial. It's not just me going on there and and speed wrapping to show off. I, I am here to, to share my knowledge and wisdom to the layman who feels insecure about wrapping a present because frankly I do too. The only reason, the only reason I no longer feel insecure about wrapping a present is because people have volunteered to me over the years. Hey, you're good at this. So uh, it's, it's, it's through a lot of trial and error and, and just uh, self flagellating, trying to get good at it. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I want to, I want to help the people out. So it's a tutorial. I'm looking forward to it. I think I need the help. I sent you some pictures of some presents that I wrapped, Scott. I don't know. What would you say? What would you give me, scale one to ten? Well, the key to a well-wrapped gift in my mind is really the tightness of the fit of the paper and the sharpness of the creases. And the photo you sent me 
wasn't close enough for me to to judge it. But it didn't look like there were any huge like puffy spots or any of the corners looked like they were, um, you know, jutting out in a in a strange way. So you know, it it, it certainly looked competent. All right. I may or may not have sent you that photo from that angle for a specific reason, but that's that's totally <laughs> fine. Uh, all right. Let's jump into this. Our first mock draft of the offseason. First head-to-head points mock of the offseason. This is different than Roto and head-to-head categories, as we talked about on the Fantasy 101 pod, which we did last week. Things that you'll see different in this draft uh, from the other formats, starting pitchers and hitters with strong plate discipline are going to be on the rise in this draft. Steel specialists uh, tend to fall. They're only worth two fantasy points on CBS, stolen bases, that is. Uh, So those players tend to fall down the draft board a little bit. Uh, Also a reminder that our rankings are not loaded into the CBS draft room yet. So if you see any wacky picks or hear any wacky picks, that may be the reason why. Uh, I am going to post the draft results in the podcast in the YouTube description if you want to follow along throughout the course of the draft. Scott, let's jump right in. We are liars, kind of. Our early lean in, at this point in the offseason was that pitching is deep and that we can wait on it. We can wait on pitching. There's the, the return of this mid-tier. It looks great. Now, head-to-head points is a different beast. Uh, we both chose three starting pitchers in the first four rounds of the draft. So what do you have to say well, for yourself? Yeah, I mean, head-to-head points is a different beast. Now, if you remember the way I was approaching this format last year, um, with the exception of a few early round hitters, my approach in this format ended up being take a starting pitcher until all the good ones are gone. And I'm certainly not doing that anymore. But the the fact of the matter is in this format and, and some other head-to-head formats that don't even use point scoring, you're only filling nine hitter spots as opposed to the, what is it, 14 yep. in a traditional Roto League. Uh, so, you know, and the fact that you don't really have to balance those hitting stats. You don't really have to pay any attention to steals. They're worth points, obviously, but they're not required in the way they are in 5 by 5 leagues. So you have a lot of flexibility as to what sort of hitters you use. It means you don't have to make it nearly the same priority as it is in Roto. Hitting is still a higher priority than last year. I would say the main thing that the dead end baseball did was create separation in the hitter ranks again so that the truly elite ones are worth paying up for. But the next wave of hitters after those elite ones are gone, after the round one and two hitters, it's, it's, it's deep. It's deep. Um, that, that pool, it can go, you know, it can run like six or seven rounds worth of hitters that are pretty similar in terms of projected output. And then they run out and, you know, the back end of the draft is filled with hitters who probably aren't going to make an impact for you, which which is also a change we're seeing from the past couple of years where it seemed like there was good hitting available throughout the draft. So it's just, you know, you can't abandon the pursuit of pitching, particularly in this format. You still have to, you still want good pitching, but it's it's more plentiful. It's less high end overall. And it's not all that matters as compared to last year. So, you know, you got to find the right balance. All right. Well, just how aggressive was everybody on starting pitchers in this draft? There were 19 starting pitchers drafted in the first four rounds. I have the draft results from this same mock draft two years ago. Not last year for some reason. I don't know. I'm on the the CBS site for it and 
I have two years ago, but not last year. Anyway, uh, there was 19 starting pitchers drafted in the first four rounds that year as well. So I guess we weren't really more aggressive. It's kind of in line with with where things were uh, a couple of years ago in the same exact format. So let's talk about our actual draft picks here. And Scott was second overall. I had the seventh overall pick in this draft. And the first overall pick, no surprise, I guess in a points league, Juan Soto, great play discipline. You only start three outfielders, but he is amazing. We know that. So I think that makes plenty of sense. Scott, you took Vladimir Guerrero, and you did it pretty quickly as well. You, it took you just mm-hmm. seven seconds to make that pick. Did you consider anybody else? Maybe I, a Jose Ramirez? Uh, no, I didn't. I think this is a, a clear number one and two in this format, Soto and Guerrero. Um, and uh, you know, I wouldn't mind if somebody took Guerrero over Soto. I do prefer Soto because the plate discipline, as good as Guerrero's is, the the plate discipline for Soto is just on another level, and that's highly rewarded in this format. Really, I I like I like the way a head-to-head points draft begins better than I, than Roto because the obvious top two players to take in Roto, where you do need to prioritize steals, are Tatis and Acuna, right? But they both have such obvious injury concerns that, uh, you know, people shy away from them at the start of round one. And and so you end up with Trey Turner as the number one overall pick, which just feels like a lame number one overall pick in row. I understand why people do it, the scarcity of stolen bases and everything, but it doesn't feel like he's the big standout player you want to use that pick on. While Soto and Guerrero in this format, um, I, think, I think they more clearly are. Yeah, and... Just to piggyback off what you said about Roto, I, I think that there's a very clear like top six or seven hitters where I, I wouldn't really mind if I got any of them. So if I w- round up, wound up with a mid-round pick rather than an early pick, I would be okay with that just because I would have an earlier second-round pick. So that's more for Roto, but uh, okay, again, Scott took Vlad Guerrero here second overall. Uh, the only reason I brought up Jose Ramirez is because him and Vlad were pretty close in terms of points per game last year. Obviously, third base stinks, uh, so... I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's crazy. Um, I think you know Jose Ramirez is going to be a top half uh, of the first round pick. No, I don't think it's crazy either. In fact, it, you made me second guess myself. That's why there was a little hesitation before I answered your question. Um, Try to remind myself where I actually have Jose Ramirez in my overall rankings in this format. I am fourth. Okay. So I have Soto, Guerrero, Tatis. I, I sneak him in there still, and then Jose Ramirez fourth, and then. And, and what's surely a departure in head-to-head points leagues from the past couple of years, I don't have a pitcher. I, I don't see a starting pitcher worth taking until the fifth pick. All right. Well, let's get a little bit further into this draft. After you took Vlad, we see Trey Turner go, Fernando Tatis, Bryce Harper I thought was a little bit interesting, and then the first starting pitcher off the board, Walker Bueller, went to Phil Panebshik, which I thought was interesting. Now, I'm up at seven and I'm debating Garrett Cole versus Jose Ramirez for all the reasons that we just mentioned. Jose Ramirez is really awesome regardless of format. Roto, obviously, is going to hit homers. He's going to steal bases. But for this format, he makes a lot of contact, too. And, and again, yep. like he just he does everything that you want. Maybe he doesn't walk as much as like other people, but the contact definitely helps in this format. Uh, I wound up taking Garrett Cole because I was pretty confident that an elite hitter would make it back to me in the second round. And that's exactly what happened. So, Scott, what would you do if you were in my position? Seventh overall, Garrett Cole, Jose Ramirez available. Well, I mean, considering I said I have Jose Ramirez as my number four player in right. this format, I would take Ramirez. I'm, I, I feel pretty good about the pitchers going in the round two, three, four range. And I, I feel like 
particularly if it's about as high end as Jose Ramirez, I I, I feel like you're that's a clearer downgrade that you're um, that you're accepting passing up Ramirez for a pitcher when you could take Ramirez and you know the kind of pitcher you'd get in round two or three could you know potentially be in the same league as Cole, especially given the issues we saw for Cole down the stretch last year. Yep. So I took Garrett Cole and I wound up with Shohei Otani in the second round as my first hitter off the board. Freddie Freeman was also there. Kyle Tucker, Rafael Devers. I would have been fine with any of those guys personally. Uh, So I take Cole and Otani. Zach Wheeler was available with that second round pick. So which combo do you like better, Scott? Cole and Otani versus Jose Ramirez and Zach Wheeler in this format? Well, I have... Ramirez ahead of Cole, and I have Wheeler ahead of Otani. So I would prefer Ramirez and Wheeler. Ooh, all right. close. Yeah, yeah, close. No, it makes sense. Uh, and we'll talk about the Otani pick in, in just a little bit because drafting a utility bat as your only hitter through four rounds definitely makes for a very weird draft. Um, so the rest of the first round, Jose Ramirez went eighth overall, then Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer went, Bo Bichette 11th, and then Mike Trout rounds out the first round. I do think that Mike Trout should be a first-round pick uh, in this format, head-to-head points. The second round, Corbin Burns, Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge. Maybe a touch early, but he is really good in this format as well. Uh, Brandon Woodruff went to RJ White, and then I wind up with Shohei Otani. And it's weird, Scott. It's just weird because it's essentially, you know, obviously we expect Otani to be really, really good as a hitter, but it's like drafting Nelson Cruz in round two because... And I just kind of felt like it set me back for my position players later on in the draft when I was like chasing outfielders or, uh, you know, worried about which third baseman that I was going to get. When you take a utility bet this early, it just kind of throws everything off. What do you think? Specifically in this format, too. Yeah, there are so few hitter spots to fill and some of the deeper positions you can you can find really good targets late just because everybody's already filled out their lineup. So I'm thinking like shortstops. Uh, I, I don't remember how late Dansby Swanson went in this draft. Uh, round 19. And I was pretty happy to get Willie Adamas in round 13, but you know, then seeing Swanson last till round 19, you know, I got Adamas as my utility player. I imagine Swanson was drafted as a utility player. The point being, this is the format where it's, I think hardest to fill that utility spot early because you know there's going to be value picks late that just don't fit into everyone else's that don't fit into the other 12 lineups because lineups are so small. And um, and by the way, I do think Otani in the middle of round two for this format is appropriate. I, I like him more in the middle of round one in, in a roto league where, uh, of course, he, he contributes in stolen bases. He contributes a lot in the counting stats, but those peripherals, bring them down a little bit in this format. 3.6 head-to-head points per game last year, which is, you know, obviously good. It's the same as Jose Altuve. You know, it's not much higher than, like, what Kyle Tucker did. Tucker also went, where did Tucker go? At the end of round two. So, you know, and we're thinking Otani... Maybe this is that was the absolute peak of what he could deliver as a hitter, and he t- takes maybe a small step back next year. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go for him in a head to head points league any earlier than you took him 18th overall. I actually have him 19th overall in my rankings, though you know, it, it's nice to know that if he ends up being like a stud on the mound, 
and you have an, a, another great hitter to plug into your utility spot, you, you could still get some use from Otani that way. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, it's just, it is weird. Uh, it just kind of throws everything off a little bit. Maybe in hindsight, I'd take like a Freddie Freeman or something, but uh, yeah, I knew I was going to take a hitter once I took uh, Garrett Cole in the first I, Yeah, round. I definitely would have taken Freeman. Freeman was the, the big faller of the first two rounds. Yep, so Freddie Freeman wound up going pick 22 just before your second pick, Scott, and you actually went with two starting pitchers at picks 23 and 26. You took Shane Bieber and Julio Arias. Uh, Once you took Vlad, did you know that you were going to take two starting pitchers here at the 2-3 turn? No, that, that that wasn't something I scripted or anything. In fact, as Freeman was sliding, I was like, oh man, what if I get Freeman? And then I realized I'd already filled first base. Okay, I obviously can't do that. Um, but if if there was a hitter of uh, if there was a hitter deserving of that pick, I would have been fine taking a hitter. It just so happens Shane Bieber was my highest ranked player, and there's a chance he's the best pitcher in baseball next year, best pitcher in fantasy. That's certainly within the possibility for him. So I was I was pleased to get him with the second to last pick of round two. All right, yeah. And then you also took uh, Julio Rios, so you have two starting pitchers there with your first three picks in the third round. I was actually eyeing Manny Machado myself. He went one pick before my third round pick. So once that happened, I knew that I was going to take another starting pitcher. There wasn't there wasn't really another hitter that I loved in this range. Yordan Alvarez, I like. I like Yordan Alvarez. Matt Olson, uh, there's a few first basemen I, I like a little bit later on that I think maybe can provide similar numbers to Matt Olson. Marcus Semien, expecting to take a step back. Those were all hitters that went right after my third round pick. So when I see that happen, I took Sandy Alcantara, who might just be an auto pick for me in round three this year, Scott, because we've done two mock drafts so far. I took Sandy Alcantara in the third round of both of them. I've done one real draft so far. That was a 15-team league. I took Sandy Alcantara in the third round of that draft as well. So I don't know. I think I just really like Sandy Alcantara. He was tied for second in baseball with 23 quality starts. He goes deep into games. Strikeout rate is improving. I think there's even more upside for him. Uh, we just need more run support because nine wins. I mean, in this format, wins actually matter because you get like seven points per win. Oh, well, wins matter in Roto too. Yeah, of course. Percent of the pitcher's production. Right, but, right. But we should theoretically get more wins out of him based on what he does when he's on the mound. Well, the innings Alcantara is going to get you are worth more in this format. You don't need him to have a crazy high strikeout rate for him to be ace-like in this format. I, he's a top 10 pitcher either way, I think, but I actually like him a little more in this format than I do in Roto Leagues. And I knew when I took Julio Arias with the second pick of round three, Frank's going to take Sandy Alcantara. <laughs> I just knew, I knew you were going to be, you were the person who were about was about as high on him as I am. And I've kind of had some indecision about those two in my rankings, what order to put Arias and Alcantara, and was kind of debating the two of them when that second pick of round three came up for me. I I have Arias ahead of Alcantara really just because of supporting cast. That's that's kind of the tiebreaker between the two. But if they were both on the Dodgers, I would prefer Alcantara. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What I've noticed too, I think the rest of the industry is going to be pretty high on Alcantara as well. I saw... Someone on Twitter doing, it was like an NFBC slow draft and talking about how they took uh, Alcantara, I think it was like 18th or 19th overall, which is just like, that's early. Um, so I, I just, I think he's going to be a pretty popular pick uh, in 2022. Coming back around in round four, I was eyeing Xander Bogarts, uh, who actually performs 
I would say a little bit better in the head-to-head points format. He hits a lot of doubles. He walks a good amount. He makes contact. Uh, but the shortstop position is so deep. So I went back to starting pitcher. So that's three starting pitchers in my first four picks. And I took Logan Webb. We talked about it a ton uh, towards the end of the season. From July 27th on for Logan Webb, he made 14 starts. He went six-plus innings in 12 of those. Decent strikeouts. More than decent. Over a strikeout per inning during that time. A ton of ground balls. Over 61%. It's a good park to pitch in. It's a good organization to pitch for. Uh, he's unproven, but I, I'm I'm about it. I like Logan Webb quite a bit, especially in this format. I took him over Chris Sale, Scott, who you wound up taking as your four, fourth round pick. Who would you rather have, Logan Webb or Chris Sale? I rank Chris Sale higher, and it's it's looking like it's looking like I may be one of the low guys on Logan Webb among the fantasy baseball rankers out there, which is kind of surprising how how that's uh, turned out, given how high I was on Logan Webb for so much of last year. But I think maybe other rankers aren't giving other pitchers enough credit compared to the guy who did it for half a season, roughly, last year. And and look, I think it's legit for Logan Webb, too. But uh, I, I don't know that he... I don't know that his best is really really puts him ahead of these guys and and certainly these other guys are more proven so I'm not really sure why uh why Logan Webb would would uh deserve the preferential treatment there versus somebody like Chris Sale who of course has been an ace for a long time and I understand okay he just came back from Tommy John surgery last year he wasn't pitching particularly deep into games didn't look quite as crisp but, but we know generally how these returns from Tommy John surgery go and and we know he looked enough like himself that I feel confident he's going to be all the way back this upcoming season, confident enough to take him in round four here in a points league as my number three starting pitcher. All right, on to round five. Scott takes his second hitter of the draft, and it is a catcher. Salvador Perez, the first catcher off the board. And to my knowledge, this has never been a part of your draft strategy, Scott. Has it? Oh, never. I wouldn't say never, Frank. Oh, okay. (laughs) I go way back. Fantasy baseball and I go way back. That so is true. There, there have been times when I have been very into drafting the high-end catchers. For the most part, though, it's it's not something I'm looking to do. But it is round five. We're not talking round three. And I actually like doing it more in this format than I like doing it in a, in a traditional Roto League even with two catcher spots, traditional rotor league, meaning two catcher spots, you know? So you're going to go deeper at that position. It, it, you might think it makes more sense to to go for the high-end catcher because of that, but I like doing it more in this format because there are only nine lineup spots. You need as much impact you can as you can get from those lineup spots. There's just there's fewer opportunities to gain an advantage over your opponent, and catcher is one of those uh, one of those opportunities you have to do that. I wouldn't have taken Salvador Perez in round three or even round four. But I get here in round five. I only have the one hitter, Vladimir Guerrero, in round one. I know I want to take another hitter. I want it to be the most impactful hitter I could possibly get. And a catcher who plays more than most, who's liable to hit twice as many home runs as virtually all of them, that that certainly seems like a high-impact hitter to me. The alternative, the, the other one I was debating in this spot was Jose Altuve, who ended up going four picks later. So it, it wouldn't have been too early for me to to- take Jose Altuve. But I felt like there were 
better fallback options at second base. There were still um, Cattell Marte, Brandon Lau, uh, Jorge Polanco out there at this point. I ended up getting Cattell Marte four rounds later, or three rounds later in round eight. So I'm I'm happy with that Salvador Perez Cattell Marte combination, and and it actually worked out. The next catcher, JT Real Muto, also went in round eight. So we can do this comparison. Would you rather have Salvador Perez and Cattell Marte in rounds five and eight, or would you rather have Jose Altuve and JT Real Muto in rounds five and eight? And yeah, I would rather have Perez and Marte. So I think that I think that worked out for me. That's close. That that is pretty close. I think I lean your side as well. Uh, Cattell Marte, the guy just needs to stay healthy. I think, you know, when he plays, he's still really, really good for this format. Another one that makes a good amount of contact, can hit home runs, obviously score some runs, some, not a lot, but <laughs> near the top of the Diamondbacks order. Uh, so, yeah. And I love Altuve. I think he's underrated in that format. I just pointed out a couple minutes ago, he averaged as many head-to-head points per game last year as Shohei Otani. Yep. You know, I, I, I said that to kind of denigrate Otani, but the other hand is, wow, look at how good a year Altuve had. He, I definitely prefer Altuve to Marte, but I think like part of it is just, I, I, don't, I don't think any catcher is really close to Salvador Perez right now. I mean, yeah, it was a career season he just had. Probably not going to top his own record for home runs hit by a catcher last year. Uh, but he was by far the best catcher in fantasy in 2020 as well. And JT Arumuto seems like he's starting to decline a bit and has fallen back in the pack more, toward the pack more. So, you know, Salvador Perez might be the only catcher that I'm willing to pay up for this season. So, Scott, are you saying that you were denigrating one of my picks? That's that's kind of messed up, man. This is this is the holiday season. I mean, it's supposed to be about I know, and you're love and caring and no, no, no. You, you <laughs> took Otani at the right spot. I was just, you know, I was I was saying why he wasn't worth a first round pick in this format. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just I'm just messing with you. Uh, the, I think the point the point that I agree with most when it comes to Salvador Perez, like he's awesome. There's no doubt about it. 48 homers. He led baseball with 121 RBI. The plate appearances, the playing time that he gives you, especially in this format, 665 plate appearances. The next closest was JT Romuto with 537. That is a huge disparity. And I now I would bet on that probably taking a little bit of a step back for Salvador Perez. They've got some young prospects maybe. coming. We we spoke with the Welsh about that. So maybe, maybe. Maybe, but he played more DH than ever right. last year. Played 161 right. games as a they weren't all as a catcher, but from the catcher position in fantasy, that is massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I, I, I think he's because of because they seem so willing to play him at DH now. Often, uh, they value his bat that much, and they should. I mean, he just hit forty eight home runs. I think that's actually going to prolong his usefulness in fantasy because he's over thirty now. I mean, he's at an age where catchers normally start to decline, but I think he's going to transition more and more into that DH role especially as MJ Melendez comes up and Salvador Perez is still an elite defender now. So it's not like, it's not like they're anxious to move him off catcher full time, but now that they've opened that door to him, DHing part time, that actually makes me more hopeful for him having a a long and productive career. All right. Well, my fifth round pick, I was debating Jose Altuve and Paul Goldschmidt and the decision was made for me. Uh, Altuve went one pick before me, so I wound up taking Goldie. Uh, I thought that there was a bit of a teardrop at first base. Teardrop for, you know, those people, whatever. Forget it. Uh, anyway, Jose Abreu was the next first baseman taken, and he went in round seven. So you know, two rounds later than I took Goldschmidt. I, again, like, Abreu is a good player, but his best format, 
it's kind of weird to say that Roto's his best format because he doesn't steal bases, but he doesn't walk very much, and that obviously affects him here in head-to-head points. So, Goldschmidt, I think I'm back. Like, I'm buying the renaissance. The guy was amazing last year, and he walks a ton. He makes a lot of contact. Homers, handful of steals, obviously. Like, he was amazing. So, like, I'm, I'm totally cool taking Paul Goldschmidt in the fifth round. Scott, what do you think about Is Is this the right range that he should go right around, like, Jose Altuve around five? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't know if that's how it's actually going to play out in ADP, uh, and, and maybe you have that handy, Frank. I, yeah. I get the sense that the general fantasy baseball community, people who play fantasy baseball, aren't uh, aren't really taking Paul Goldschmidt's twenty twenty one at face value. But if you do, this is absolutely the right place to draft them, and I, I for the most part do. Goldschmidt's early ADP, according to the NFBC, there have now been 49 drafts that have taken place. Paul Goldschmidt is pick 52. So that is in a a 12-team league, an early fifth-round pick. Uh, Altuve is pick 75. So not as much love there for Altuve. I mean, I get that sense for Altuve, too. And obviously, that's strictly 5x5 scoring, roto scoring at those NFBC ADP results. So I wonder if Altuve got elevated because of the format, or if the person who drafted him just really likes him, like I do. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, we'll finish the right end of round five. We'll go into round six and beyond here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so let's jump back in. A lot of outfielders went between my round five and round six picks, and that included Whit Merrifield. Obviously, he has second base eligibility as well. Cedric Mullins, George Springer, Nick Castellanos, and Teoscar Hernandez. Springer was one that hurt because he is so great in head-to-head points. Great play discipline. He walks a lot. Going to lead off for the Blue Jays. Going to score a ton of runs and see a lot of plate appearances as long as he can stay healthy. So that one hurt. Uh, but much like Goldschmidt and first base, I saw a teardrop coming here against Scott so after all those outfielders go, I'm like, I'm going to take Starling Marte. To me, he's like the last of this elite tier. And he's usually not as good in points. I get that. But this past year, he averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game. I am betting on that, taking a step back. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, he was he was really, really good. So uh, in the sixth round, I have absolutely no issue with Starling Marte. Oh, no. No, I think he's somebody who could get downgraded unfairly in this format because, you know, the, the top base dealer last year by far, not a huge power source that your, your brain just automatically goes to, okay, this is a, a roto specialist here, Starling Marte. But in terms of head-to-head points per game last year, 3.77 is what he averaged. The only outfielders with more head-to-head points per game last year than Starling Marte were Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, and Ronald Acuna. So only four. He was, he was fifth in... Head-to-head points per game. Uh, well, Byron Buxton was too, but obviously he was injured for a good chunk of the season. Bottom line is Starling Marte was an absolute stud in this format and well worth the sixth-round pick, if not sooner. You, you took him about where I have him ranked. Uh, what's interesting here, let's see, we're in round six. This is the outfielders going in this range. 
it's kind of right before a teardrop, you know? And I would have liked to get in on that because because outfield tends to thin out pretty quickly. I'd say other than third base, excluding catcher, obviously, because it's its own weird thing. Other than third base, outfield is probably the position that thins out the quickest. But because I drafted only two hitters with my first five picks and one of those hitters was a catcher, I just I had needs everywhere and everything was starting to to uh, run out. So, you know, that's a distinction from the last couple years too where if you do go heavy uh, on pitching early and we both went relatively heavy, you're going to have some weak spots in your lineup even even a nine-man lineup like we have in this format. And yeah, for me, no. it's the outfield. And for you it's the outfield. I yeah, too, I was right? I was going to say like when we reveal the rest of our teams later on, both of our outfields are pretty damn bad. Like I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I, I don't like my outfield at all, but maybe that just goes back to not taking Otani as as early as I did. Uh, but hindsight, 2020. We'll see what happens. Uh, on to Scotty's six-round pick. You took Wander Franco at pick 71. And uh, I just, I felt it, Scott. Like, my heart just, like, shattered a little bit because Wander I can't is... I believe it. Yeah, Wander is somebody who I want in every points league heading into 2022. Sure, maybe you downgrade him a little bit in Roto. You don't know how many home runs he's going to hit. You don't know how many bases he's going to steal. Fine. One thing you know... The guy has a ridiculous eye at the plate. There is no doubt about that. He is advanced beyond his years. He's going to walk a lot. He's going to make a ton of contact. He's going to be one of the top three batters in a really good lineup with the Rays. He's going to get those plate appearances. He's going to score a lot of runs. For all those reasons, you should love Wander Franco in this format heading into 2022. Now, Scott, I wanted to ask you, Francisco Lindor went just two picks earlier. Who would you have taken if Lindor was available? Easily Franco. Oh, okay. Easily. I have Franco as my seventh shortstop in this format. Lindor is my 12th shortstop in this format. Head-to-head points per game last year. You know, you mentioned the play discipline already. Even with the modest home run total Franco delivered in his half season of at-bats, 3.32 head-to-head points per game versus Lindor's 2.82. And of course, you know, it was a down season for Lindor. You could argue, well, he's going to bounce back. And I have some doubts about that, but to some extent, he probably will. I don't know that Lindor's had many seasons where he's averaged more than 3.32 head-to-head points per game. I mean, that, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of points. Uh, and it, it already makes Franco, just if he keeps doing what he's been doing, it already makes him you know, pretty close to a stud in this format. And uh, obviously, there's lots of room for him to improve. So, yeah, I agree with you that, um, well, I'm perfectly fine drafting Franco, Wander Franco as a starter in any format. I, I feel like you're giving up less by doing it in this format. You're taking less of a risk because he already earns so much just with the plate discipline. And given the fervor over him, I'm surprised particularly in this format that he was able to last to the end of round six. I, I never imagined I'd be able to get him there. And I probably won't be able to again. Yeah, it, it hurt because I I knew that there was a chance that he would go. There were a few things at play. The fact that you know I felt like I needed an outfielder at that point. Shortstop is still pretty deep, and I'm I'm actually okay with who I wound up with. But obviously, I do like Wander Franco quite a bit. Uh, Francisco Lindor, just to pull this up quickly, Scott. In 2019, he averaged 3.7 fantasy points per game. But he was pretty amazing that year. 284 batting average, 32 homers, uh, 20, I think it was 22 steals. Yeah, 22 steals. So... I don't know that anyone's expecting Lindor to get back to that level, but just yeah. 
in case you're wondering. Uh, so through six rounds, Scott, we each have three hitters and three starting pitchers. I have Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara, Logan Webb. I have Otani, Paul Goldschmidt, Starling Marte. And then for you, you have Bieber, Arias, Chris Sale. You have Vladimir Guerrero, Salvador Perez, and Wander Franco. Um, and I don't know. I think we're... I, I think I like mine a little bit more. It would make sense because I drafted my team, but <laughs> I, I think I think we're pretty even, like, just in general. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, whatever. Putting it up against each other. Let's get into round seven here, uh, and we're back to pitching, Scott. You took Frankie Montas. Uh, I obviously took Joe Musgrove because I have to take Joe Musgrove. He's my guy. I, I do have questions about him, but as an SP4... I'm fine with that. Uh, some great hitters also went in this round. Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, Carlos Correa, J.D. Martinez. Scott, did you reg- uh, regret taking a starting pitcher here? Obviously, you had the shortstop, but maybe you should have taken like an Eloy or, or J.D. Martinez. I don't think so. I, I pitchers, Pitcher was thinning out quicker at this point, and I already had three, but, you know, I, 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 wanted, I want to have a deep pitching staff then it can account for a lot going wrong and the kind of hitters that are going here they're big names but this is this is not the ideal format for them they're generally poor plate discipline guys in the case of Abreu Tim Anderson and uh, Aloy Jimenez all three uh, all White Sox huh uh, all three are poor plate discipline guys and and maybe not going to differentiate themselves from what comes after as by as much as you think all right, uh, round eight. I look a bunch of shortstops go off the board. I mentioned some of those names: Tim Anderson, Carlos Correa, uh, Jazz Chisholm went in round eight, which again is, is probably yeah. not the prim- uh, preferred format for you know his services, his skill set. Uh, so I took Jorge Polanco in round eight, and I'm fine with it. Another one where I think he excels in this format, makes a lot of contact. He's going to hit in the top half of his lineup. Probably regresses a little bit. I don't know that we expect him to hit whatever thirty plus homers with. Uh, 15 steals again, whatever he did. But I, I would still bet on him being really, really good in this format. Scott, you double tap hitters at the 8-9 turn. You take Cattell Marte and Brian Reynolds. So that gives you your first, second baseman and your outfield one. At the time, I, I guess you could have planned on this being your first two outfielders, but it probably just didn't work out that way later on in the draft. Yeah, I expected Cattell Marte would slot in at second base for me, but I was open to drafting another second baseman if... if- if things played out that way, obviously I had some, you know, I was, I was behind in building my outfield. So it, it seemed possible that I could move him there. Uh, you took, so remember I passed up Jose Altuve in round five and uh, get Cattell Marte here in round eight. I would have been fine with Jorge Polanco too. You took Jorge Polanco. What was it? F- five picks earlier. Yep. So, so I was really, uh, really holding my breath that Cattell Marte would make it to me at that point. And fortunately, he did. I love Brian Reynolds, too. I think I think he's, you know, I don't have him ranked as an outfield one in, in this format or in any format, but I think he is, it, it's certainly plausible he finishes as that. And uh, I'm happy to get him in round nine. I don't know that. But, but this is about the point here where the hitting pool really begins to drop off. So this is kind of my last stud hitter, Brian Reynolds in round nine, which look, we made it to round nine. Uh, so it's, you know, there's still a lot of them, but it's, there's not an infinite supply of them. Like maybe people uh, remember from the last couple of years. 
Uh, five picks later, after you took Reynolds, I took Jonathan India. He's my starting second baseman. And I'll point out that Bobby Witt, in case people are wondering, he went in this round as well. He went pick 99. His early ADP is 93 overall. So this range seems like it makes sense. Again, a lot of people drafting over at the NFBC, that's for 5x5 five five Roto. And obviously, right. he's expected right. so to steal some bases. So probably there's more pitchers ahead of him in this draft. That right. it, it seemed a little early for me for Bobby Witt. But you understand a player with that kind of upside, I, I think. Round nine is late enough into a draft that you can you can take that kind of gamble. But it, it seemed a little early to me. Yeah, Jonathan India, love in this format. He averaged three fantasy points per game. That includes his slow starts of the season. But from May 13th on, he had a 388 OBP and 872 OPS. 89 runs scored in 124 games. Guy walks a lot. He can steal a few bags. And even if the Reds lineup takes a bit of a hit, I, I still think he's going to score a lot of runs. So... Uh, very excited about Jonathan India. I think really in any format, but I, I like him a lot here as well. It, it's a shame he's not still third base eligible because I think that Seriously. We'd, we'd be talking him up even more in that case. Gosh, we need third basemen. And speaking of that position, we go into round 10 where for some reason I thought that Chris Bryant was still available. He was not. Uh, Anthony Rendon was available. Those were the two third basemen I had in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, I want to get one of these two because those are like the end of a tier at the position. And then it's like everybody else, which we've talked about a lot so far this offseason. It was only Rendon that was available. I saw Justin Turner go three picks before me and I'm sweating. That's right. Real nerves in a mid-December head-to-head points mock draft. What is wrong with me? RJ White takes Tyler O'Neill. One pick ahead of me, I wind up taking Anthony Rendon, which elicited an ah, Frank, in the chat room. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, yeah, that Scotty. Was, <laughs> that was the biggest groaner of the draft for me. Groaner in terms of, yeah, I wanted that. I wanted Anthony Rendon there in round <laughs> 10 as well. It was right before a drop in tier. You know, you mentioned he went after Justin Turner. I mean, that, I have Rendon ahead of Turner, I think. You do too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it's more like Rendon versus Alex Bregman. Which of those two would you prefer? And Bregman went way back in round five. So for Rendon to still be there in round 10. And look, I do think there's more risk with Rendon than Bregman. But I think they excel at a lot of the same things. I think their upside is comparable. Five rounds different like that. Definitely give me Rendon. And I knew at that point, after you took Rendon, six picks before I was geared up to that I was just going to have to slum it at third base. Just going to have to slum it. Just going to have to take the best of whatever's left and, and, and hope my thing and, and cross my fingers. It works out. So, um, so that's what I did. So I guess that means I'm, I'm not just weak in the outfield. I'm weak at third base as well, perhaps even weaker at third base than the outfield. The thing about the outfield is like, particularly in a three outfielder league, I don't mind being weak in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, they'll be like, waiver. I'd rather not yeah. be, but there are just, there are so many outfielders. Yeah. Right? The, so many players who play outfield in the majors that it's very unlikely the outfield you begin the year with is the outfield you finish the year with. Yeah. Like that, that's a position where you can be sure that you're, there are going to be big Finds on the waiver wire, and some people that some people just aren't going to be able to take advantage of because they invested so much in their outfield. So I never worry about outfield too much in a head-to-head three outfielder head-to-head points league. Yeah, the point you made about the waiver wire is exactly what I was going to say. Is of all the positions in a head-to-head points league, finding an outfielder that either breaks out 
or that you can just stream on a weekly basis based on like matchups or whoever's playing in Colorado, it's much easier to find that than it is to find, I don't know, starting pitcher or a catcher that makes a difference or yeah. maybe even an elite level third baseman. So yeah, and, I, 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 I agree with you uh, about outfield. And the podcast listeners league last year, which is this format, I was the highest scoring team. I didn't make the playoffs for some reason, but I was the <laughs> highest scoring team. And my outfield most of the year was guys like Robbie Grossman, Mark Canna, Hunter Renfro, like basically just free pickups. And, uh, you know, I managed to put together the high scoring team. All right. Well, Scott, you missed out on Anthony Rendon, which means at the 10-11 turn, you took two more starting pitchers. That gave you Pablo Lopez and Chris Bassett, which I did find a little bit curious because they gave you six starting pitchers through your first 11 picks and we only start five starting pitchers. So I know yeah. you like to have depth at the position, mm-hmm. but I don't know, Scotty. I don't, I don't think that I would have done the same thing. It's not necessarily a goal of mine to get six starting pitchers before I fill out my hitting roster, you know, but this, we were clearly at a point now where there's no hitter worth paying up for. So if there are pitchers left worth paying up for, Okay, I'll take the pitcher. I say that even knowing Nelson Cruz was out there still. He hadn't gone off the board yet. And I hadn't, and to be honest, I didn't notice it at this point that he hadn't gone off the board yet. And I still had my utility spot open at that point. And maybe, maybe if I could do it over, I would have taken Nelson Cruz with my round 11 pick instead of Chris Bassett because that might, that might have been the last hitter worth paying up for. But I don't think that's crystal clear because he was pretty awful with the Rays and, of course, is very old. And we may see, be seeing the beginning of the end for Nelson Cruz. Even when, you know, even apart from struggling with the Rays down the stretch, he was in and out of the lineup a lot and you're setting your lineup for a full week and you only have nine hitter spots. And I, I had him in the couple of head-to-head points leagues last year and was frustrated how often I had to pick up somebody else to use in my utility spot. So, um, and, and as we were saying at the start of the show, I ended up getting Willie Adamas as my as my utility player a couple of rounds late. Like there's just, there's a lot of hitters who slide that you like leaving that spot open for. So I don't think it's for sure something I'd redo. Take Cruz instead of Chris Bassett here. Uh, but, you know, leaving Cruz out of it, just broad strategy, there are some hit pitchers still worth paying up for. For the most part, there are no hitters worth paying up for. Give me the pitcher, no matter how many I have. Yeah, so you took Willie Adamas in, at the end of round 12. The, the starting pitchers that went right after that, Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman, Sean Manaya. Would you rather have Nelson Cruz and one of those pitchers or Chris Bassett and Willie Adamas? I would rather have Chris Bassett and Willie Adamas. Yeah, I will point like the right thing about Willie Adamas, and I've seen this in other drafts too. I think he's going way too late. I know the shortstop position is deep, but man, if you wanted to wait and just snatch up Willie Adamas, I know in Roto he doesn't. He's not going to give you steals. You know, maybe a handful of any anything, but he was really really good with Milwaukee. I mean, he he could be what Jorge Polanco was last year. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's not crazy. So I I do my early lean is just uh, if you need a fallback at the shortstop position, I, I like Willie Adamas. Quite a bit. Uh, all right, Scott. So we mentioned our outfield turned out pretty bad. Round 11, I was looking to take Giancarlo Stanton. He went a couple of picks before me. So instead, I took Wilson Contreras. I thought he was one of the last 
I'm not going to say elite catchers, but the top six that you actually feel pretty good about, you know, after that, there's like Cabert Ruiz and Mitch Garver and those names are fine, but I have a little bit more faith right. still in Wilson Contreras. So I, I was okay taking him there. So my outfield, uh, I took my outfielder two in, uh, in round 12. It was Joey Gallo. No, I don't feel good about it. He strikes out a ton, which is very bad in this format. It helps out a little bit that he walks so much. Obviously, he hits home runs. He was terrible, terrible with the Yankees last year. There's no doubt about that. I have to imagine he's going to bounce back just a little bit, at least. So he's my second outfielder. And I thought, like, this is a good place to just kind of dive into the rest of our team, Scott, and, and go through our lineups and, and just kind of talk it out. So uh, would you like to go first, or do you want me to continue talking about my crappy outfield? <laughs> I'll go first. That's fine. Sure. Let you catch your breath. Yep. So my team ended up looking like this. Salvador Perez is my catcher. Obviously doesn't get any better there. Vladimir Guerrero is my first baseman. Obviously doesn't get any better there. Cattell Marte is my second baseman. Happy about that. 2019, he was the top second baseman in this format, and he looked great when he was healthy last year. Third base, clearly a struggle. I ended up with Yon Moncada in round 17 and Matt Chapman in round 19. So basically waited till the end of the draft. Those are that both came within the last five picks. And uh, I'm just going to hope for a bounce back from one of them. And I hate, you know, rosters are so <laughs> rosters are so <laughs> small in this format that I, you know, it's going to be frustrating having to devote two to questionable third basemen. But I think there's a high probability at least one of them bounces back to their their previous standard. So Moncada and Chapman duking it out at third base for me. Wander Franco is my shortstop. No complaints there. Outfield. Outfield, I have Brian Reynolds. Okay, we're, we would all be pretty happy with that. Chris Taylor and Hunter Renfro. You know, I, I know it doesn't compare mm. to some other teams' outfields, but I think statistically it might. Chris Taylor is going to have less competition than ever on a Dodgers team that's lost a lot. It's obviously, you know, still a good spot to bat in. So I think he's perfectly fine as a starting player on a, on a, even on a head-to-head points team. And you mentioned Giancarlo Stanton in round 11. Some people listening may have thought, oh, Scott, you said there were no hitters worth paying up for. What about Giancarlo Stanton? Big name, had a bounce-back season last year. 2.96 head-to-head points per game is what Stanton... Ended up averaging for the Yankees last year. Hunter Renfro, 2.96. Exactly the same, head-to-head points per game. And he's going to the Brewers. He's going to that small park. So uh, I think Renfro's the sort of discount outfielder, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of outfield freebie you can get in this three-outfielder pitching-heavy format. So that's my outfield. I got Willie Adamas as my utility player. We talked about that. My pitching staff ended up being, uh, where do I start? Shane Bieber, Julio Arias, Chris Sale, Frankie Montas, Pablo Lopez, and then on my bench, Chris Bassett, who we talked about, Aaron Savale, big innings eater, like that for this format, Patrick Sandoval, who you know we like. I, I like his upside too. So I ended up getting eight pitchers from my top 55 that I've referred to on past podcasts is kind of the kind of how deep that middle class goes. It goes to 55 in my rankings and I'd like to get maybe about seven pitchers through my top 55. I ended up getting eight. So really happy with the pitching. My relievers, Cal Quantrill, 
He was one of three Sparps who were drafted, the other two being Ranger Suarez, who went way early, and Luis Severino. Cal Quantrill I got in round 15, I believe, and Scott Barlow, who's hopefully the Royals' closer to begin the year, but in a format where every team can only start two relievers, I'm, I'm not that worried about who's filling that spot at the beginning of the year. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll eventually land someone usable there Yeah, if it's not him. I think overall, I, I like this team, Scott. I like this team that you put together. And once again, just to highlight how much deeper starting pitcher is, you mentioned seven of your top 55. Last year, I, I think that was... Eight. What? I got eight. Yeah, so but I wanted said, seven. I yeah. got eight. So normally you want to aim for seven of your top fifty-five. Last year, I think it was six of your top thirty. That's what you wanted, something like that. Five something of your top like thirty. That. I yeah. can't remember exactly. Maybe it was six of my top thirty-five. Something yeah. like that. So just to you know put that in perspective of how we feel about pitching this year, it is deeper than than we've seen in years past. Definitely compared to last deeper year, deeper and stands out less on at the top than it used to. All right, I'm going to run through my lineup here, Scotty, and I, I'm going to just say at the top here, I don't think that I have many standouts on offense, but I think that I am solid uh, just across the board here. So at catcher, I have Wilson Contreras. At first base, I have Paul Goldschmidt. Second base, I have Jonathan India. Third base, I have Anthony Rendon. Shortstop, Jorge Polanco. Outfield, Starling Marte, Joey Gallo, and Trent Grisham. See what we can get from Trent Grisham. I know he was pretty bad in the second half, but if he works his way back into the, the top of that Padres lineup, he walks, scores runs. I think he's an interesting bounce back candidate. I think I got him in like, I don't know, round 13 or 14. So I'll, I'll take a shot on him there. And then my best hitter, obviously, is Shohei, uh, Shohei Otani, who is going to be stuck in my utility uh, all season, unfortunately. Uh, and then on the bench, I grabbed two outfielders here. We don't really know what's going to have with Marcelo Zuna. I know it's like a weird thing to like even talk about him for fantasy and draft him. But if he returns to the Braves, uh, that is someone who I think has still quite a bit of upside at the position. And then Robbie Grossman, who was really good this past year, went 20-20. He walks quite a bit. So, yeah, take a few shots on some outfielders there. And then for the pitching staff, I've got Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara, Logan Webb, Joe Musgrove. That's the top four. Uh, my fifth starting pitcher was Logan Gilbert. So two Logans in my, in my pitching staff. So definitely keep that in mind when you're drafting. Uh, and then my uh, my relief pitchers, I got Luis Severino, one of the other Sparps that you mentioned, and Craig Kimbrell, who I do expect to be traded at some point in the offseason. Maybe the Phillies, maybe the Red Sox, Padres could use a closer. I, don't know, I think he's going to get traded somewhere and he's going to wind up being the closer for someone. Uh, on the bench here, I have Alex Cobb, Bailey Ober, and Waskari Noah. So not the same high end that you have on your bench, Scott, but guys that I do think have yeah. quite a bit of upside uh, in terms like of starting Cobb. pitcher. Yeah, I was, I yeah. was a little disappointed not to get Cobb myself. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, let us know in the comments on YouTube who had a better team, me or Scotty. You can tweet at us as well, at Roto underscore Frank, at CBS Scott White. And I do just quickly want to compare the teams that we just mentioned to a team that only drafted one starting pitcher in the first 10 rounds. So just to try and compare and contrast and, and show you what it's like when you go pitching heavy versus waiting on pitching in this format. Uh, and the team that I'm going to use here is Chris Mitchell, who I believe had the third overall pick in the draft, either third or fourth. Uh, he had Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, Ozzy Albies, Rafael Devers, Francisco Lindor, Fernando Tatis in the outfield, Randy Rosarena, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo at utility. Loaded lineup. No doubt about it. This lineup is amazing. The pitching staff, Jose Barrios, Mike Clevenger, 
Nathan Avaldi, John Gray, Jose Urquidy, and then a relief pitcher, two of the best closers, I would say, in fantasy, Josh Hader and Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen's still on sign, so we'll uh, we'll see where he winds up, but I have no doubt he will wind up somewhere as, as a team's closer. Madison Bumgarner, Chris Flexen, Austin Gomber here on the bench. So, obviously, the pitching staff is a little bit different here, Scott, um, but the, the lineup is loaded, so what do you think? Well... I think the pitching staff doesn't look as bad as as you might think it would, given how little he invested in it. And there is another team that didn't invest much in starting pitcher either, and and that pitching staff looks a lot worse. So credit credit to Chris Mitchell for um, making efficient use of those pitcher picks. It's not a great pitching staff, obviously. It's going to get outshined by whatever most of his opponents are running out there. And I feel like the lineup should look better than it does for the amount of investment in it. I don't know, Scott. This this I mean, is like a really good lineup. Yeah, I mean, Francisco Lindor, I expect to be one of the worst in a one shortstop, you know, no middle infielder league, one of the worst uses of the shortstop spot. I don't think Anthony Rizzo has much of anything left. Sure. I'm starting him at his utility spot. You know, Randy Arozarena, Kyle Schwarber. You know, I like Schwarber a lot, but uh, especially Arozarena. I, I don't think they're going to really set his outfield apart in any way. I think they're going to be about three points per game, which is what most starting outfielders are going to be in this format. Tatis is obviously awesome. Abreu, again, this isn't really his format. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think his... I don't... To whatever degree his hitter crop outshines our hitter crop, and I'm not sure it clearly does. I think our pitching... Our our pitchers far exceed his. All right. So this team could work. You know, last year I wouldn't have given this team a chance with where I was at starting pitching. I, I think it does have a chance, but I I, I like the way we built our teams better. <laughs> All right, tough crowd for Scott White, but yeah. hey, that's uh, that's that's why we lo- we like head to head points, right? I mean, I, I would say we're both pretty good at it, right? You were the the top point scorer in our league. Uh, I think I made the playoffs. I definitely did not win the championship. In the podcast league, I I could probably look it up, but it's going to take too much time. So shout out to whoever <laughs> won it. It wasn't me. Scott, the holiday season is here. You're taking off the final two weeks. Well-deserved. Obviously, enjoy the time with your family. Uh, but with that, I've got to find out. I think I remember. I know what song you said last year was your favorite. I would know it if I heard it. I just don't remember the name of it. So remind us, Scott, your favorite holiday song, your favorite holiday movie. What do you like to... Uh, what do you like to splurge oh, on remember. this time of year? I remember my favorite song. I it was "Deck the Halls" from Mannheim Steamroller. Right, I'm, I'm big in man to Mannheim Steamroller Christmas stuff in general. That's exactly what um, it was. I don't really like like Christmas rock, you know. Come Christmas on. Jingle Bell Rock. Come on, Scotty. It it's always <laughs> corny. I prefer like really traditional. Uh, I might even go so far as to say religious Christmas music, which I'm, I'm not saying Mannheim Steamroller is. It's mostly instrumental and it's kind of right. like out there instrumental. But my point is like what most people would probably say is their Chris- favorite Christmas song, I would probably say is corny, <laughs> which doesn't mean I can't enjoy it at all. But, you know, it's it's probably not going to be my go-to. Uh, so that's where I am on music. 
Am I giving my movie pick or are you doing music? Well, I'll just quickly give my song because it's probably one that you hate, Scotty, based on everything that you just said. <laughs> Last Christmas by Wham. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, and that's, that's I get it. The lyrics are dumb. You know, yeah. I, we're not listening to the lyrics. You know, I, I like the way that the music just sounds. I like the way that that song sounds. It's also a great music video if you've never seen it. That might be my least favorite Christmas <laughs> song, Frank. I'm going to be honest with you. Which I think makes sense, right? Like, just uh, if you know Scotty, if you know me, like music taste, <laughs> sure. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we're just complete opposites there. So yeah. uh, the music video I was going to mention, if you like feathery 80s hair, my gosh, George Michael in that music video. The hair <laughs> is on point. So I love the song Last Christmas. Christmas and Hollis is another really good one. I, you know, Run DMC, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, all right, Scott. Movie. Favorite movie? Christmas movie, I gotta go home alone. Home alone. All right. Gotta can't, go home alone. Can't go wrong. It's classic. I could watch it any time of year. All right. Uh, for me, no surprise. I've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds. I love oh, it. And I love that one, too. It just... That, that, is, that, is, that is a frank... Level comedy that also appeals to me. 100%. And it, again, like if you've listened to us all year long, you know that it's like every Adam Sandler movie from like the 90s and the 2000s, <laughs> I've seen way too many times. And just stupid movies like that. Who Who is uh, Paulie Shore, right? Like I've just seen a bunch of his movies. Why? I don't know. It's just these like cheesy comedy movies. Just Friends, love it. Watch it every mm -hmm. year on Thanksgiving with the family to like kick off the holidays. So uh, definitely that one. I do love me some Eight Crazy Nights as well. No surprise. Uh, Adam Sandler, animated Love it. Definitely going to watch it this weekend. So, all right, Scott, that's it. 2021 uh, is in the books. Uh, Scott won't be here for the next two weeks. We're still going to have the podcast twice per week. I have a yeah. bunch of guests booked, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. No doubt about it. We're doing like early ADP gifts next week using NFBC ADP. So we're going to have some fun. Uh, but Scott, what do you think, right? Like our first year together, our first full year together, 2021. How'd we do? Great. I, I didn't <laughs> even, it feels like I've been with you forever. Who's that Adam Azer guy? Nah, who is that guy? I don't know. I'm going to try to get him on in January because he was talking a big game. I think him and Nando DeFino <laughs> want to come on together. So, Oh, uh, boy. And we were going to play a game. Like I present a name to Adam, and he tells me whether it's actually a baseball player or not because that's like <laughs> how far out of the baseball world uh, he is. We're going to wrap up here on the podcast side of things. Once again, we're going to stick around on YouTube to watch Scott's tutorial on gift wrapping. So if you're listening right now on the podcast and you want to learn... Just come find us, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. But that'll do it for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. I will be back again on Tuesday. Bye-bye.